you listen to X-Rate right now, I want to bring on Dacia Graber, a candidate for House District 35. Where's House District 35? Well, it's in parts of Multnomah, Washington County. It's represented by people like Max Williams and Larry Galizio, and most recently, Margaret Doherty. Max Williams is now CEO of the Oregon Community Foundation. Larry Galizio is now president of Clatsop Community College in Astoria. And Margaret Doherty, a retired teacher who just recently retired from the state legislature. Dacia, are you with us? Daisy, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, good. I can hear you now. Welcome. Good morning. How are you doing? Fantastic. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So tell us, who are you and why are you running? <laughs> great. Uh, I, my name is Dacia Graber, and it, I recognize it's an incredibly hard name to pronounce, and it's one of many in this election cycle that are really hard to pronounce. But I, uh, I'm almost a two-decade first responder. I'm a union firefighter, and I've seen firsthand obstacles that working families face. Uh, I spent you know, my life serving my community one call at a time and working hard to make things better for people on the worst day of their lives, and that's really informed a lot of my community advocacy and my activism. And so things that, you know, any, whether it's from gun violence or folks on the verge of houselessness, access to health care, mental health and addiction issues, a whole, the whole gamut, I started, you know, having these experiences going, what can I do to make things better? Um, and I took that determination to see change for some of our most vulnerable communities to activism. I, uh, I met our current representative, Margaret Doherty, several, several times in her office, you know, campaigning for different causes. And uh, I think gun violence was the first one working with Moms Demand Action. And I experienced that the value of sharing these really powerful stories and experiences um, could change lives. It could change people. And I saw that how effective that one brave voice can be when you stand up and you share your lived experience and what you're seeing. It was a couple years ago that I invited Representative Doherty to Portland Metro Fire Camp. I'm very proud to be part of a, a coalition effort in the region where we bring girls ages 16 to 20 in to experience what it's like to be a firefighter. And I invited her to see this, and she kind of tagged along for the day, and at the end she looked at me and she said, you know, why don't you run for office? And I just laughed. I went, there's not my thing. Uh, I'm comfortable in this gear. I love being a firefighter. There's no way. And uh, so I went home that night and I said that to my husband. I was like, hey, what do you, you know, this is, what do you think of this? Rep Rep Representative Doherty said this. And he just laughed and said, well, well why the hell not? And uh, so that kind of got the wheels turning. And as, you know, we moved forward and, and we were involved, uh, as I was involved in things like the extreme risk protective order, uh, passing paid family leave after turning our own family struggle into a testimonial and a catalyst for change, I really saw the benefit of this and I stepped up. So I went through Emerge Oregon, I've gone through Oregon Labor Candidate School, and I'm just thrilled to have the opportunity. I should also mention, uh, because it may become an issue on this interview, I'm also a mom of four teenagers. and uh, What are they doing right now? Sort of well, right now they're sleeping. <laughs> a moment of rest. Are they going to school online? Are they are they doing any sort of classes? What what's their day to day? Yeah, yeah. So they all go. We live in the reaches of the district that are up in Multnomah County. So we live in Southwest Portland, 
and they are Portland Public School students. So I have three that are in Wilson High School and one that's in Jackson Middle School, and, you know, their teachers are doing a fantastic job. But I, I don't call it homeschooling so much right now as crisis schooling okay. <laughs> because we're all sort of defining this together. And if there's anything that I've seen uh, since we've embarked on these really strange times we're in, it's that it sort of brought the kind of the glaring inequities of access and privilege uh, in our community to light. So I, yeah, so our, my kids are online probably with schoolwork roughly three to four hours a day. Are you in still engaged as a firefighter? Are you working as a firefighter? Do you plan to keep working as a firefighter while you're in the house if you win? Absolutely. So I, I love being a firefighter. It's more than a job for me. It's a vocation and a calling, and it's really been, you know, those values that I'm bringing with me to Salem. Yeah, uh, I remember. One of the things. Go ahead. Huh? No, go ahead. Oh, uh, and one of the things, you know, it would not be possible to continue being on a shift schedule while the house is in session. So early on as I was exploring this, I met with my fire chief in the administration and said, hey, what are my options? And, you know, we looked into it. It's a citizen's legislature. And so I am I am eligible to take a leave of absence during during those sessions. And then I would come back to the line. Yeah, I remember Greg Matthews, who served in the legislature yeah. in a very similar circumstance. And I think it was viewed by the Oregon firefighters as a good thing to have a member right there in the House, so not only lobbying members of the legislature, one of their own is embedded. Oh, absolutely. And I have received the most incredible, overwhelming support from my sisters and brothers in the fire service. I think it is really exciting to know that you have somebody that sees what we see on the day-to-day understands the principles of teamwork and courage and determination and have someone in there with that collective voice. So I feel very honored and privileged to have their support. On the policy front, where do you think that the legislature is getting it wrong? Where do you think is getting it right? And if I wanted to sharpen this question a bit, what I would say is, (laughs) what do you think from a policy perspective you will prioritize that might actually impact the debate somewhat? Yeah, you know, I, I have... I had this incredibly clear platform going in, right? Six months ago, I'm thinking uh, we're going to do a fair economy that works for all, educational opportunity, green and forward-thinking infrastructure, and those tenets still stand, you know, working, protecting working people. But I also recognize that we have a new lens that we're looking at everything through, and we need to be nimble and flexible in that. So. From a specific policy standpoint, I think one of the first things that we need to, as a legislature, do is, A, figure out how to communicate across the aisle so we can get stuff done. And most importantly, we've got to get people back to work, and we need to make sure people have the protections they need. One of the policies that's in place that I worked really hard on was paid family leave. And rather than waiting two more years for that to come into effect, I think we need to look for ways to get that active now. We have families who are suffering, and this could be the difference between, you know, a family losing their home, uh, losing the roof over their heads, and being able to stay where they are. So that is one for sure. Um, And then I think we're going to have to really look at some of the mortgage relief, rent relief programs. I think, you know, a moratorium on evictions, if it hasn't been passed locally, it needs to be passed on a statewide level. It's, it's absolutely important. And we also need to look at kind of reducing the red tape for business loans because small business is the heart and soul of Oregon. And we need to make sure I mean, so many of our small businesses are incredibly vulnerable and, and they are feeling the stress right now. Some have already closed. 
back to the first responder thing. As yeah, as first responder, what is your life like? How is your life different? I know you're campaigning. You're campaigning by Zoom and by calling <laughs> people like me. But what is your uh, what is life like right now for firefighters? How is it different than when we're not in the midst of a global pandemic? Oh, man, it's so different, and yet it's the same, right? So people are still having heart attacks. They're still crashing their cars, and uh, they're still burning their houses down. But like I said, it's that lens again. And where, you know, for the last 20 years, when I get a call, I don't really think about it. I run out to the rig. I jump into my gear. We get on the engine, and there we go. Now we have this really elaborate PPE that we're using to protect ourselves. We have had firefighters sick with COVID-19, and we know that that's a really very real threat for us and every other frontline worker. So when we get a call, we have these, uh, depending on what level of um, COVID suspicion, and every call we treat that way because we've had patients that had no outward signs but ended up being COVID positive, so for most calls, we put on this reusable Thai chem suit and our SCBA masks, our face masks that we wear for fires, and something called a P100 cartridge that we, we clip in. So really, it has the effect of making us look like something, like an extra out of contagion. <laughs> it's quite impressive and intimidating. And I will tell you, you know, the other day it was pretty warm and I was working and we were in and out of those things quite a few times and it was hot, it's hot and sweaty. They're not breathable. <laughs> so uh, that's one of the ways it's changed. And I think just that, um, you know, everything we do in our job has the, has the possibility of causing harm to us, but it's not ever at the forefront and it's still not, right? We, we're not backing away from what we do. We're proud to serve and, and be right in there. But it does give you an extra layer of, you know, heads up about this. Um, I might, you know, we're very careful around the station and how we decontaminate everything. And, yeah, we recognize the risks that we're taking. Should there be elements of the fire department that should be changed in significant ways? And to give just a little background, I, I, I remember I was surprised to learn that now, or as we probably have the paradigmatic example of a firefighter's call being a house fire and now i think house fires <laughs> are three percent of firefighter calls now it's largely a health care delivery system are there things that public structures that the firefighting system should do to sort of lean into its reality as a uh, as a health care delivery system oh absolutely and i'm really proud to work in this region because i think we are doing things that you're not really seeing being done anywhere else in the country. You know, I'm a firefighter for TVFNR, but I have friends that work for Portland Fire too, and I know both agencies, and we represent a large swath of total firefighters in the state. We've been doing things like home health care. Uh, Portland Fire right now is doing a medication delivery service. We're doing, we're, because you're right, 80% 80, 80 or more of our call volume is medical. Although I will say I have seen just anecdotally kind of an uptick in house fires, and I think that's because everybody's home, and <laughs> I've seen a lot of cooking fires. <laughs> everybody's baking. Everybody's trying to fry that big turkey. Do you have any yeah, lessons, yeah. any word on frying turkeys for Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving's not for a while. We assumed oh, there was still man. Thanksgiving will still exist. I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like there's not a Thanksgiving that has gone by in the last decade where something doesn't burn down because of a turkey fryer, so please... <laughs> If you're going to do it, go do it. Find a yard away from your deck in the siding of your house and uh, 
Yeah, and understand that if you have flaming oil, the worst thing you can put on it is water, like a pan of water. We see a lot of bad burns with that. <laughs> so, yeah. What committees no, do you want I to serve on? If you if you had a cho- I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Oh no no no! I'm, I'd love to move on to the committee question. Yeah, uh, what, what committees? What, what if you're going to sink your teeth and? Most of the people, a lot of our listeners are sort of democracy nerds. Uh, there are others who I hope use this as an on-ramp to become one. And the legislative process is largely a committee-driven process. You, each legislator serves on, let's call it, three committees. And that ends up being sort of the key classes that you take. You vote on all the bills as, lo- as long as you're not missing the session, uh, as long as you're not missing the day. But you really dig into a few topics. Have you identified some of those topics you really want to dig into? I sure have. So, uh, you know, I'm a longtime union firefighter. I'm the chair of the Equity and Inclusion Committee in Local 1660, and I have been in the building for a lot of discussions about PERS and retirements and public employees. So business and labor is a committee that I would love to be on. I think having not only someone that stands up for working people, but someone who comes from working people who is a working person is really important on that committee. I also, in the Tigard area, after seeing folks who are houseless and hurting, I founded something called the Compassionate Care Center, where we provide free medical care and triage to our unhoused population, and a lot of the work there informs some policy and work I would love to do with human services and housing. And then last uh, but not least, my background, uh, my educational background is in homeland security and emergency management. And I'm not a veteran, but I work with a lot of veterans, and I hear kind of the issues that they're having with reintegration, with medical care, and I think that the Veterans and Emergency Preparedness Committee, its I think until this year, it wasn't one that was considered one of the sexier committees, <laughs> although that might be shifting right now. I think that's a, that's a very important committee that needs need strong voices with a lot of that experience. I also serve on OSPAC, which is the State Seismic Policy Advisory Commission, so I, I love to kind of nerd out on that stuff. The Business Labor Committee, of course, is one that is of particular interest to the uh, Firefighters Union, the Firefighters Association. It is uh, the committee where any sort of change to wage an hour, any sort of change to very often if something were going to happen, something we suggested with respect to the retirement system, where kind of bill like that would go to. When we look at people who are emerging from uh, particular uh, membership groups, and then mm-hmm. who have that built-in base of support for that membership group. It's an interesting thing to think about, okay, well, what are the elements, what are the priorities of that membership group that person might be bringing with them to Salem? What are some of the things you're hearing from your members or particularly from the leadership of the firefighters that you would bring to the business labor communi- uh, committee or otherwise? Yeah, you know, when you say the leadership of the firefighters, you mean my organizational leadership or the union? Uh, either way. Let's let's yeah. start, let's start with the union. Let's start with the union. You know, I think uh, I'm I'm a bit of an anomaly in my union. Obviously, I'm a female firefighter. There's not a lot of us, and uh, I've worked with these guys long enough. You, you got go, far. You got. You sounded far away all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, hang on. Let me switch my headphones here. How's that better? I think so. Okay. <laughs> Good. Um, my union leadership that I work with locally, uh, they've been working with me for years, and they know I'm not one to uh, be told what to do, <laughs> and I have not always been on the same side of the equation with them, but we uh, we all believe strongly in supporting our, our union members in their retirements, and one of the things that we're seeing right now 
Um, to me, echoes a little bit of what we saw in 9-11, and that's, you know, and I, I just, I started my fire career about 10 months before 9-11, but after, you know, in that time period and right now, it's, it's wonderful, it's a privilege to be called a hero in your community and a responder, and, you know, we hear incredible things, you know, this uh, Sherrod Brown in Ohio, his idea for a $25,000 hero bonus, we don't want that. <laughs> we, uh, that money, I think most of us would love to see going to families who are struggling, businesses who are struggling. But what does matter is knowing that, well, we're out on the front lines right now risking our lives and in some cases getting sick. Uh, and that's not just this year. You know, I have a whole personal story about my husband's battle with cancer, job-related cancer. We want to know that at the end of the day, we can retire, we can have secure retirements and health care. So the time that we're putting on the line now has value in the long term. Because one thing that, you know, we saw in 9-11 is we, firefighters and first responders were listed up as heroes, but we were also kind of the first thing on the menu when it was time to make cuts. And I don't believe that we have to work in that, you know, that paradigm, that dichotomy where we can either have, you know, fiscal responsibility or we can take care of our public employees. I think we need to learn to be more creative and innovative and we need to dig a little deeper. What does creative and innovative mean? What would you suggest? Uh, there's a lot of things. So I know, you know, from uh, just, I can only speak to the firefighters union on this, but we're looking at programs uh, 1049 obviously was a shock, the Student Success Act, but one of the things we've come up with are kind of a drop program, so work-back programs where people are able to pay down some of the retirement. But I think the bigger question is even with the CAT tax, and I know there's a lot of discussion about that right now, but even with the CAT tax, Oregon still has one of the lowest corporate tax rates in the nation. And I find it tragic that every time we talk about services and first responders and, and public safety and things like that, we're like, oh, we value this, but those are that's where we're going to go to recover costs. Instead of looking at, you know, corporations that have billions of dollars in export profit. It's a good transition. By the way, we're talking to Dacia Graber, candidate for House District 35 in the Democratic primary, to succeed Margaret Doherty. I haven't had a chance to talk to Keenan Casavant. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing uh, the if it's Casavant or Casavant. He is also running in the same primary as you. Here's what I find interesting. He has, in his announcement, at least according to uh, according to Pamplin, the uh, he is looking to provide a conservative alternative as a Democrat in the Tigard area race. Now, it's one thing if you are the Republican nominee to say you're offering the conservative <laughs> alternative. It's another thing to do that if you're in the Democratic primary. What do you see as some of the key differences between you and Keenan? You know, I haven't actually had an opportunity to meet Keenan yet. I've put the effort out there, and he has so far declined. I would welcome to sit down and so what I know of Keenan, you know, I really know just from reading what he's put out on his website. Um, I, I don't understand what he means by a conservative alternative because we're both Democrats. I do know that, his, that he has been endorsed by Timber Unity. I've been told that. So right there is a big difference. I, I believe in a green Oregon and forward-thinking infrastructure projects, and, and that's not an endorsement I'd go after. Um, I think we have very, I'm guessing we have very different approaches to, you know, public retirements, 
to education, but it's, it's really hard. It's a, I can't really speak to that because I, I haven't, I've heard one uh, interview that he did on KBU. I listened to that and, you know, he seems to have a lot of experience in uh, academia policy, but I, I don't know what his lived experience is and practical experience is. I haven't met him in the Capitol before. So I think that's the other thing that I bring a strength is that I know uh, just from the time I've been down there as an advocate, I've met a lot of people in that building and I've really worked hard to establish relationships, both with Democrats and Republicans. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of, even though I am a proud progressive and proud Democrat, I have people supporting me who are independents, who are Republicans. I, I have money from libertarians who've, who've made small contributions and that's, that feels really good. I'm looking, I know I'm capable of building those bridges. I'm looking at your set of endorsements, and it's basically the who's who of the uh, of folks who play in Democratic primaries. Just essentially every uh, organized labor union. Uh, also, I see next up on here, I see uh, I see League of Conservation Voters. Uh, I see Planned Parenthood. Any endorsement you wanted that you didn't get? Be honest. Uh, no, but I think one of the best, you know, yeah, actually, I will say I met, and it's not that they didn't endorse, they haven't done so yet, but I met with the steel workers several months ago, and I would call that my spiciest interview, because, you know, they, but it ended up being such a good conversation, so I walked in there, and, you know, they said, oh, you're one of these green people, and not only that, you're you're adamantly, you know, pro-abortion access, pro-choice, and you want to take our guns away. And I kind of laughed. I'm like, all right, this is how this is, how this is going to go. Uh, all right, let's take the gloves off. Let's do this. And, you know, I've, had, I've heard that a couple times in some of the endorsement interviews of, hey, you know, we love your stance on labor. We love your, the way you're going to show up for working people and blue-collar workers. But, wow, you're kind of, you know, you're not – this whole thing with like secure storage we don't really like that and that's been an opportunity for me to double down on some of those and say you know what here's here's the deal you get what you i we have a <laughs> we have a saying in our house when we make dinner like you get what you get and you don't throw a fit <laughs> that's not what i said to those guys but it was also kind of like hey this is who i am i'm not going to tell you one thing to get your endorsement and then totally change and i think in the long run that's been a, a real strength and a real positive so with the steel workers I and mean, we had this great conversation and they were like man we really don't like some of your social opinions we may not like your view on what you know green infrastructure and uh, cap and invest but thank you for showing up and being honest. And, and we had such a good conversation. I think I was in there for an hour just laughing with that is It's fascinating because that is essentially what you've described is sort of the Trump labor strategy to try to peel off some percentage of the labor union vote in Wisconsin, Ohio, et cetera, yeah. that helped him win the presidency. And you were up there up close and purpose, personal with the Steelworkers Union and said, yeah, you're there for the right to organize, which we appreciate. But as all this other crap, you know, we're a little bit worried about. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I think um, we also are going to go wrong if we just completely discount those folks. So, you know, some of what I told them and, and whether they, even with or without their endorsement, those are people that I'm going to stand up for. Those are folks whose jobs are in jeopardy. And 
those are areas where we can really, uh, you know, we have this hashtag we've been using in my campaign, redefine possible, and in some ways the steel workers, what a great opportunity there. So as we go through this crisis, we are going to have to rebuild our communities in ways that we've never imagined. And I don't think that means that we drop visionary projects like Southwest Corridor or Light Rail. I think we look at that almost with a, you know, an FDR lens, right? So we use, we use, we create jobs within our community. We don't drop the visionary thinking. We look at like doing things like Southwest Corridor, only we use Oregon-made steel. We use Oregon, you know, we use union labor. We get people back to work in ways that keep the money flowing into the state. So it's I, a big I one. It's a big one. You're hearing from so many building trades. Uh, I heard yeah. of Joe Esmond at Electricians Union. The so many building trades that they're not trusting the Blue Green Coalition, not trusting a Green New Deal. And I guess the way to get them to trust is to make it real. Yeah, I, I think it's one thing. You know, one of the things that we need to bridge coming up here is there's a lot of great talk and aspirational talk, um, but I can see how for a lot of these labor organizations like the Steelworkers is. You know, okay, you're talking about a Green New Deal, but what does that actually look like? What are the what's the hard and fast of that? How do we how do we create that vision? How do we I, I look at it as how do we use that um, as a platform to be labor forward? And I do think it's going to take a lot of political will and a lot of bridge building, but I do think it's possible. Dacia Graber, candidate for House District 35. Thank you so much for being with us. Where can people find out more? Oh, they can find out more on my website. It's www.dacia, D-A-C-I-A for Oregon. I'm on Facebook at Dacia for Oregon. I'm on Instagram at Dacia for Oregon. I'm on Twitter at DJ Graber. And as of yesterday, I have ruined my teenagers' lives by getting a TikTok. (laughs) 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 We haven't released that one yet, but oh my God, that was so much fun. They're mortified. Good luck with your family dances, Dacia Graber. Thank you for your service, and thanks for the time, and good luck to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. I heard your intro, by the way. I hope that you are bringing in support because you're right. More than ever, we need good information coming across our airwaves. So thank you for doing that. Thanks for this. Appreciate you. Take care. Bye.